put in the time, suffer through whatever it is that you have to suffer through, then who knows what you're capable of. Hey everybody, Mike here, back with another episode of the Muscle for Life podcast. And if you've ever wondered what a day in the shoes of yours truly is really like, and if you've ever wondered how I generally think about and approach my work and life and my priorities on the whole, then I think you're in for a serious disappointment because it's probably not nearly as glamorous or insightful as you might think. Seriously, though, uh, this episode is actually an interview that I did with a guy named Dan Bradbury for his podcast, which is called the Business Growth Podcast. And I actually thought that you all might find it interesting. So here it is. And in this interview, Dan and I talk about various things, including what really gets in the way of us realizing our full potentials as individuals, what my daily routine looks like these days, what books have most helped me in my career and helped me build businesses what are my most important pieces of advice for people who want to grow their businesses and more this is where i would normally plug a sponsor to pay the bills but i'm not big on promoting stuff that i don't personally use and believe in so instead i'm just going to quickly tell you about something of mine specifically my 100 natural greens supplement genesis now, Genesis is a very unique combination of greens, superfoods, adaptogens, herbs, and other phytonutrients that have been proven to increase immunity, heart and circulatory health, energy levels, libido, mood, and more. Genesis is also naturally sweetened in flavors and contains no artificial food dyes, fillers, or other unnecessary junk. And all that is why it has over 200 reviews on Amazon with a four star average and another 150 plus on my website, also with a four star average. So if you wanna be healthier, feel better, train harder, and increase your immunity and longevity, then you want to head over to www.legionathletics.com and pick up a bottle of Genesis today. And just to show how much I appreciate my podcast peeps, use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout and you will save 10% on your entire order. And lastly, you should also know that I have a very simple 100% money back guarantee that works like this. You either love my stuff or you get your money back period. You don't have to return the products. You don't have to fill out forms. You don't have to jump through any other hoops or go through any other shenanigans. So you really can't lose here. Head over to www.legionathletics.com now, place your order and see for yourself why my supplements have thousands of rave reviews all over the internet. And if for whatever reason, they're just not for you, contact us and we will give you a full refund on the spot. All righty, that is enough shameless plugging for now at least. Let's get to the show. So, hey, Mike, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. There's so many areas I want to dive into, but a great place I want to start is uh, I know from being an avid follower and listener of yours that not only have your various companies grown rapidly, but you've done all this while having a family. So you've got two young kids, and yet Legion, at least, I believe, is now at eight-figure revenues, you haven't even pressed the gas pedal when it comes to paid advertising yet. Just a broad question to start is, how the hell do you manage to pull all this off? 
What's kind of the secret sauce? I know a lot of our listeners constantly struggling to how do they do the whole family business thing simultaneously? You know, mostly just cocaine, just a lot of cocaine. Uh, no. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I guess that comes down to that, that life work balance thing, right? Which I think is mostly just a myth. You can't have everything. I mean, that, that's just life. You can't have it all. You can choose what you want. So if you want to have a vibrant social life and if you want to have a lot of free time, you can have a good relationship um, with your family, but it's it the more it, it, you'd have a better relationship if you put more time into it, of course. So things it, you have to choose. What are you willing to sacrifice? So for me, for example, a lot of that has just come down to time. So especially in the first couple of years, because so it started with books and then Muscle for Life came into the picture and then Legion came into the picture and uh, and then the app came into the picture and all have been moving simultaneously and the workload has increased exponentially. And so for me personally, that means that in the beginning, uh, let's see when we started, yeah, Lennox was a baby. So, um, so my son was there and I was working probably on average, let's say 70 hours a week, let's just say on average. And which meant basically 10 to 12 hours, Monday through Thursday, sometimes Friday, uh, Fridays, I'd usually end a little bit early. And then Usually some work on Saturday and work all Sunday was kind of the standard schedule. So yeah, that meant that I didn't have a social life. I didn't really take time to hang out with friends. Maybe I saw friends here and there, maybe on a Saturday uh, afternoon or or Friday night. And that that was kind of the, just how it went for several years. I have some time with my wife, but not very much. And I wouldn't have very much time with my son, which I look back on it now. I wouldn't say I regret it, but I'm intentionally spending a bit more time, at least as I, whenever I can, even if it's just like, with my daughter because she's six months old right now. And even if it's just like like strapping her in on the baby Bjorn when I'm making dinner and just, just to spend time with her because I didn't spend much time with Lennox when he was a baby. You know, it's a cute time. It's something that at the time I was just doing what I was doing. But I look back at it now and I'm like, yeah, I wish I would have spent a little bit more time with him as a baby. So again, I just think that it comes down to how much pain are you willing to take? <laughs> and that's, uh, yeah, if you want to build a few businesses and I mean, all together, um, well, yeah, Legion Legion did eight figures in sales and the other businesses are seven-figure businesses. And that's great. And it's great financially. But for me, it's not just about money. I mean, I, I just genuinely enjoy working and I genuinely enjoy building businesses and just winning, just doing things that work. I, I mean, it'd probably be that way regardless of whatever field I was working in, uh, just because I kind of just like the game. Unfortunately, I, I don't have any any great life hacks that <laughs> I can't say that, again, oh, I have everything. A lot of people would not enjoy my life. And I, I've had that discussion with people that I've known like or that I know um, where they see success and they see the trappings of success. You know, they either say oh, they, they wish they were in my position or, or maybe even are, are a, bit, a little bit weird about it, jealous or envious. And But I, I've had that discussion. I'm like, trust me, you don't want my life. You don't want my life. Like, come, come and hang out with me for a month and you will quit by week two. You will quit because you're not sleeping that much. You're working a shitload. Also, on top of that, in the gym every day you know, putting in work there, which is at this point, part of my job description. And you can forget about Netflix, might as well just cancel your Netflix because you're not going to have any time for it anyway. You can forget about hanging out, meeting up with friends. You know, maybe, maybe you'll have a couple hours here or there once a week, basically. 
so yeah, so that's just a that's just a choice that I made, but I made it consciously. I didn't like just fall into a trap kind of laid by myself. This was a conscious choice. In the future, I mean, I always because I like to work, it'll, I'll always kind of be that type of person. But uh, I probably will put a bit more time into my family in the future. But well, I'm doing what I'm doing right now because I think it's going to set me up nicely for the future. So I like it a lot, Mike. I mean, it's fascinating. I, I've um... As I mentioned before, I've been a fan of yours and followed on and listened to your material and read your books for a couple of years now. And I kind of feel like kindred spirits because the listeners of this podcast know I'm a numbers freak. I like measuring things. I like the science behind things. And I think especially in the fitness industry, it's, it's notorious for bullshit. Yeah. And, and what I like, uh, especially with Muscle for Life, but with Legion, is just is the science behind it and that how you debunk a lot of those myths that fitness businesses, I suppose, purport in order to sell their wares. Yeah. So, but it's I'm definitely, curious, there's definitely an expedience there. Like lying makes it easier in this industry in particular to make easy money. Because if you can just prey well, on people's insecurities and you can prey on their their desire for the quick fix, the instant gratification, if you can promise that in a pill or a powder or a program, it makes it a lot easier to make money. Yeah, I mean, it's funny um, because I want to tie it back to business, but I, I know that it's fascinating to me how whenever you are discussing various Legion supplements on a podcast, for example, you'll always very clearly state that it can help support muscular development, for example, but it's the minority. You yeah. know, there's no substitute for it's, hard work. It's and good supplemental diet. And by definition, right? <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm curious because you've now built multiple businesses to a decent size. What are some of the biggest lies that you hear preached in the world of business? What are some of the falsities that are sold in order for the so-called gurus to sell their business development wares? That's an interesting question. I'm not uh, well-versed in that space, honestly. I've read a fair amount of – a fair number of business books and marketing books in particular over the years. I mean, some I liked more than others, but on the whole, I would say a lot of them were giving good advice, but they were um, like – you know, books like The Lean Startup. Good book. I recommend anybody, you know, that's building a business to read that book. Scaling Up. Good book. It hits you with an overwhelming amount of information. I think the primary purpose of that book is try to sell you on consulting. But if you can uh, face the sheer <laughs> amount of things that that book says you should be doing and just kind of tackle them one at a time, you can get a ton of value out of it. So I'm not quite sure because I really don't like the kind of entrepreneur space, the people that just talk about wanting to do one thing or another or, or wanting to chasing the Tim Ferriss lifestyle, I guess. Like that crowd is just not my kind of crowd. So I, I don't pay attention to that space at all. But I would say from just my personal experience, knowing people over the years that have had big ambitions, but uh, failed to realize them, I would say the most common things that the, the biggest things that have gotten in the way and kept them from uh, achieving the the level of success that I think that they actually could have achieved. Like I'm thinking of a few people in particular that I really do think that they could be much further in their career than they are now. I would say one, not, well, I mean, if we just start first at not capable of really working hard, I guess, definition of hard work, I would say probably starts at 50 to 60 hours of real work per week. Not That's not 50 to 60 hours of sitting at a desk and going to Twitter every five minutes. No, I mean real work, like focused 
some people would say you can't do that much quote unquote deep work per week. And I actually probably would tend to agree with that. Even I myself, I think I'm above average in my ability to just work. And if we're talking about deep work that requires deep focus, like writing in particular, researching and writing, I would say 30 or 40 hours a week is where I at least start to, I start to notice a drop off in my performance. I can keep going, but I can feel that it is, it's not as uh, productive per unit of time as it, as it, you know, is in the first 30 ish hours, but you can still keep going. But regardless, you know, there are other tasks. That's why I like to kind of block my time and look at it also, not just in terms of managing my time in an absolute sense, but also managing my energy. Again, I'm, I think I'm a fairly high energy person, but as the day goes on, depending on what I'm doing, you know, you just, your energy reserves are not unlimited. And so save the more mundane routine stuff for your lower energy periods, like email, for example. Email is a is obviously, that's not deep work. That's more just, it's something you got to do. It's a chore. So I would include stuff like that in that number of work, right? And even let's say reading. I mean, if you're researching for something, that's work. So again, inability to work hard. I, I see it all the time. Just inherent laziness, you know, unable to break free of that. You know, I just... I'm inherently kind of a cynical person and I just, there, there, there's a joke in, in my group of friends that like some people could, sure, you can go, they could go read a hundred books and they could listen to a a thousand podcasts and they might, they could go get hundreds and thousands of hours of therapy to try to deal with this one issue alone of inability to work, just too lazy, can't put in the time, too distractible can't just make a decision and push it through and make it happen no matter what, regardless of how much time and effort it's going to take. Maybe a more effective therapy would just be like, just drop them in a rainforest with nothing. And if they figure out how to survive, that's a changed person right there. <laughs> like It's just that necessity level. They just don't have the necessity level. And again, I'm thinking of very specific people, so I don't mean this as a generalization on everybody, but I've just seen this many times where it's like, necessity, right? It's the mother of all invention. And if the necessity level is high enough, you know, we can do extraordinary things. You know, you have stories of women basically deadlifting cars off of their kids and shit like that. Like that's just a pure physical, yeah, I, like, and that, that's because the necessity level in that moment is so high. You either are going to do that or your kid is going to die. All of a sudden you're Superman for five minutes or, or five seconds. So I think that we're also capable of things like that psychologically, Maybe you could say even spiritually, but the question is, can you impose that on yourself or does it need to be externally imposed upon you? And unfortunately, many of the people, again, that I feel have uh, just uh, unrealized potential, they're not good at imposing that necessity level on themselves. They're not good at really putting the amount of pressure that it takes to push away all the distractions and all the reasons to give up and not try very hard and just kind of turn to decadence instead and just keep going, especially when it involves doing a lot of things that you don't like to do. That's a big part of being successful is, and I think another thing that I've seen that gets in the way of a lot of people is just they're not willing to do the shit that they don't like. They're not willing to do the stuff they don't want to do. And I've seen this a lot with creative types where they can be pretty amazing creatively actually, but they don't want to have anything to do with the business side of things that it just is confusing to them. It's not fun. It's not interesting. It doesn't stimulate them. They don't want to have anything to do with the marketing side of things and they struggle and they wonder why they struggle. And again, I've had conversations and I've straight up said like, 
It's just because you're bad at business and you're bad at marketing. If you were half as good at business as marketing and marketing as you were at your creative art, you would be a millionaire. I've given specific, I was like, dude, if I were you, here's exactly what I would do. I guarantee you this would work. And in a couple of cases, I would lay it out a little thing like, this is exactly what I do. I do this, this, and this. And I would just rinse and repeat that until I have a customer base basically buying my stuff, da, da, da. And in some cases, people have said like one person, I kind of laid it out. He's like, oh yeah, there's another dude doing exactly that in my space. And he makes a, a shit ton of money and he gets to do whatever he wants to do actually creatively. He just has a smart little business. I'm like, uh, uh, well, then you already knew what, just go do it then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's right there. And then it's like, well, I don't know. It might not work. You, know, you start getting into the effort. It's the effort. It's too much effort. And again, I just think like if you can't get over that, if things are just everything feels too hard and you can't push yourself through that, then just stop. Just get a job. Like just why, 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 why go through the whole if you can't suffer enough and you don't have the the pain threshold to make it through, I just don't understand why fight the fight. If you're going to fight it, fight it. But don't kind of like just sit in this where you're not really doing anything and you're just kind of feeling bad for yourself and you wish you had more, but you're not really willing to do what it takes to get more. You know what I mean? I, it just it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, no, so I, I, I'm curious. You've, you've already probably alluded to it, but have you read um, Principles by Ray Dalio? Uh, have you come across that yeah, book? Yeah, yeah. I, I read it. I finished it a couple of weeks ago, actually. I, I liked it a lot. I mean, oh, well, it's yes. obviously uh, a bit long, a bit belabored, uh, but a lot of great information. Like I really, I really respect him. I like his perspective on things. That's a book that I would recommend that everybody read. It's kind of a slog because it could have been probably half the size, but that's okay. Yeah, he was trying to, he was trying to get his, his life's work down on paper. But yeah, the, the reason why I said that is I, I kind of feel that uh, for anybody that's listening that's not remotely interested in health and fitness, it, you've got to go and uh, subscribe to uh, some of Mike's, read some of his articles and go and sub- subscribe to his podcast because how I came across you, Mike, and you don't know this, it was purely by referral. I was literally a couple of years ago was in my office and said, hey, to somebody in my office, I said, Miles, I'm looking for a good health and fitness podcast. What would you recommend? And he recommended your podcast. And then subsequently, I started consuming your material and ended up becoming a customer sometime later. But when I when I look at it, I've now subsequently referred you and, and now most of our offices uh, has bought some either Legion or Muscle for Life, uh, you know, some of your books. That they, There's a whole plethora of it that goes around our office and our wider community it feels like your business is really referable because you churn out just, in my opinion, consistently a high volume of really, really good content. So my question was, uh, I'm curious for those listening, they might go, well, you know, I'm not an author. I don't want to be an author. How does this relate to me? Is what are the grounding principles, hence the Dalio tie-in, what are the grounding principles or philosophies that have driven your growth? Because the company is growing and it's growing you know, rapidly and kind of keeps moving forward. And it feels, if anything, you're just getting momentum. What are the principles that underlie that? Yeah, yeah. I'll answer that. Let me, let me first, though, add just because I know, again, I sound pretty pessimistic and cynical. And there's definitely a part of me that, that, that is that way. But I want to add to the to the kind of uh, maybe down note on everything I just said. The the upside of that is if you can, I think if you can get to that point, where you're willing to do whatever it takes, put in the time, suffer through whatever it is that you have to suffer through, then who knows what 
you're capable of. And that applies to me, applies to everybody. And, you know, it's a very Jordan Peterson thing to say, but I really do agree with it. We have no idea what our capabilities are. We can say for a fact that they are much higher than our current state. That's the, that's the big payoff of embracing, again, that I kind of, I guess, stark reality of hard work, and doing the shit you don't want to do and just suffering through and viewing that as a challenge, not as something negative and putting a positive spin on it and just putting a smile on your face every day and doing the things that you know are going to contribute to at least sort of the, the high probability plays that are that are most likely to get you to where you want to be. And you know, one other thing, just to answer your previous question in terms of obstacles, so there's there's the hard work, the willingness to do things that suck, basically. And hopefully over time, the the emotional charge from them kind of just dissipates and you don't really think about it much anymore. Like I, I do a lot of things that are just chores. That's really what they are. A lot of my work these days is chores. It feels like chores, but I'm emotionally neutral about them. I don't think though this sucks when I'm doing it. I just know this is what needs to get done to get me one step closer to this bigger picture, this bigger goal that's three to five years out in the future. So I could care less whether I feel inherently drawn toward, I could care less how inherently stimulating it is. I'm going to do it and I'm going to put a smile on my face because I know that this is the type of thing that most people don't want to do because it's not very fun inherently. And that's, those are the things though that have the greatest potential for payoff usually. And um, one other thing is getting very good at something. That's something that, again, a lot of people I've seen that I feel like they could have been more successful than they are or were, is they didn't get really good at something that has uh, a lot of commercial value, a single skill. Let's just start there. And, you know, in my case, for example, if I were to boil it all down, what's my best, most marketable, saleable skill? Probably writing, probably content creation. I'm good at researching and I'm good at explaining things in a way that's clear and practical and that resonates with people. I'm good at communicating, I guess, is, is what it comes down to. And at least, at least in written form, I think I'm okay in spoken you know, dialogue like this, but I'm better. I haven't studied, I haven't practiced rhetoric, for example. So I'm, I think I'm better as a writer. And from there, I would say I'm also a good marketer and I'm a good copywriter. So those are, those are skills, like very specific skills, things that I've gotten very good at. And, you know, I'm always trying to improve. I would say by my own estimation, I'm good. I wouldn't even say that I'm very good. And so maybe I approach very good in certain little subsets of those things. But on the whole, I would say I'm good and I'm good enough to, uh, again, and, and that started everything that I've done and that my team, it's not just me, I have 20 people, so I'm not, I can't take all the credit, but everything that we've done did start with books. And I was able to write a book, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger is where it started that resonated, that helped people. They started talking about it. It got results. So for anybody out there that is trying to find their way, I understand I was there myself at one point, but my personal journey started with one, I was always willing to do the work. I was never one to try to look for the shortcut or look for the get something for nothing or the hacks, or I, I didn't mind hard work. I didn't mind putting in time. I didn't mind grinding. I didn't mind suffering a bit. Maybe I learned that through osmosis uh, growing up because my dad is a is a successful entrepreneur and I and I saw firsthand I mean some of the shit he went through and he just kept going and I grew up playing sports and I was pretty into it and so I got used to you know just that type of highly competitive environment where you either put up or you are put out basically so 
anyways, I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that there is the positive of if you can really just embrace it, it's unpalatable. I understand these things are pretty unpalatable. They're kind of like medicine, but if you embrace it, they're very empowering and they give you, it just gives you a huge advantage over the people who are more the blue sky. Just over the years, I've met a lot of people where it's just, it's just cliche, I guess, some people where they say they're going to do things. And when I really get down to it though, and I really start drilling in, what are you actually doing? Where's your actual plan? Where is this leading? And where's your time going? As much as I would like to say, okay, keep going. You're going to make it like, nah, they're not like if I had to put money on it, I just honestly, and that's, if I had to put money on it, I would put money on failure just because I don't see the fundamentals there. I just don't see it. Go back to a sports analogy, like a Belichick kind of, uh, or a, what was it? Um, there was a book. I didn't, I didn't read it. It's on my list. Um, 49ers coach, the, I, I'm not, I'm not good at football. I don't know much football trivia, but famous 49ers, uh, when, when they were dominant, the coach and his focus was fundamentals work on the fundamentals of the game. Don't even worry about winning. If you get the fundamentals, right, the winning comes kind of approach. So if when, if you don't, if I don't see that in a business, I immediately just like, yeah, this will probably fail because the fundamentals aren't there. Big thoughts and fucking dream boards and, you know, uh, all, all, that, all that shit doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? So anyways, to, to, your, to your question on the principles um, and, and specifically on the content. So that has been a pillar, obviously, of um, each of the businesses and it, and it remains one so much so that that's my primary focus. Um, like, you know, we, I just wrapped up recently our yearly planning and we get pretty granular now because we have a few businesses and we have, a, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts and we really want to make sure that we have everything planned out, everything timelined. We don't go down to like the, the day per se, but we go down to end of week. So like if we're looking at it in terms of weekly sprints on, on all the different fronts that we are advancing on, what gets done by whom. So in looking at that, like the focus, my focus is on content creation because that's, I think, my highest and best use of time. So one of the things has been to consistently put out very good content. And and there's also behind that is a lot of research. There's a lot, I've put in a lot of time also educating myself about things. I don't just sit down to write an article and just kind of turn it loose and just see what comes. There's, there's in some cases, a lot of preparation. In some cases, I've done it. I've already kind of done the, the research and I have to dig through my PubMed and make sure I have the studies and I can put it all together. But the article kind of writes itself. But in other cases, I've gone into articles, you know, let's say I get asked a question quite a bit. And I'm not sure. Like I wrote an article, uh, what comes to mind is, this might've been six months ago, is dairy bad for you, right? I know that if I just give a quick answer, it's like, no, it's not bad for you unless you are lactose intolerant or unless you're just having way too much of it like anything. But to really write that article, I did do quite a bit of research and I have a research assistant. She's a PhD student at Oxford, smart girl, and she does a great job kind of combing through the literature and putting together a good summary and then sending a you know, the papers over to me so I can look at everything. So sometimes it might be 10 or 15 hours of research before I feel confident that I can write a good article. And so again, it's just being, being willing to do that. And another big thing that has helped a lot is being very accessible and being willing to help people without asking for anything. So since the beginning, I have always been available via email, via social media, better via email, just because I hate social media DMs, like on my phone, I need to get like a Bluetooth keyboard. Right? It actually enrages me You know, yeah. where I'm trying to like say something and it's auto-correcting me. And it's so, it's so slow. It feels so inefficient. 
where sometimes I'll ask people to like email me if they have a long question or the answers are like, could you please email this to me? Because it's just a lot faster, but that's been huge. I mean, that the fact that people can email me and yes, they, at this point, they're going to have to wait probably seven to 10 days to get a response. Cause I get a lot of emails, uh, but they will hear back. And in some, in, in some, in some cases in the past, they would be, that would be like four to five hours of every day would just be doing emails and social media. Now I have someone that helps because some of the, a lot of the questions are very simple. You know, someone can jump in and just be like, Hey, you know, I work with Mike and just want to make sure you got an answer to this. But a lot of them need to come to me because they're communications directly to me or, you know, the person helping isn't quite sure he wants to make sure that the person gets the right answer. So I still, you know, every day I'm, I'm answering emails, I'm answering social media messages, and that will never change because it's just, especially for generating word of mouth. I think that's probably, it's just very unusual, especially in the fitness space where you have a bunch of weird, narcissistic, neurotic people that don't really care about their following. It's just unusual to be able to send an email to someone like me who doesn't have to, like, yeah, I don't have to do that, but I like to do it because I know it's very helpful. So that's been a big thing. Well, and it makes sense as well. You know, I think, um, because if you think about it logically on previous episodes of this show, we've, we've spoken and we've had people like Jay Abraham on and Ryan Dice. And we've spoken about referrals being typically a much more likely yep. to buy and, and, and yep. spend more money because the, and if I just think of the dialogue about how we engage in conversation, it's ultimately because you responded to an email from one of my team who who liked your content and he reached out to you and you reached out to him and that started a dialogue and and, and then it just further fulfills itself because now that's ended up in us being on this podcast and I'm sure uh, you know some of the guys listening to this are going to go and ch- uh, check you out and your books and, uh, and your supplements, etc., and therefore, it, it, it grows. And the more like to buy, then hence why the company, or I'm talking about Legion uh, specifically, uh, your supplement company has grown so much without without there even really being any focus whatsoever on paid advertising. I mean, that's that's just insane. Yeah, and that's been, I mean, now we're, now we're really diving into paid and it's going to be a pain in the ass in the beginning. It's proving to be, but you know, we'll figure it out. It's just like with any with any marketing endeavor you have to try a lot of things and you have to kind of whittle it down until you really start getting to the messages that resonate in the ads that resonate and it, like it's easy to create stuff that, that has a decent return it's hard to create stuff that has a decent or good return that you can scale to a big spend like you know ideally we'd be spending I mean, shit, ideally we'd be spending a million dollars a month and paid, but even getting to a mid six figures a month spend profitably. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass. It takes time. So, so we're working through it and I'd say, yeah, the primary uh, reasons why Legion has grown as quickly as it has are, I mean, obviously I had a, I had a, had a bit of a following and a bit of a platform when we launched it, but from there it's been continuing to grow, uh, the, the platform. So continuing to do things, to sell more books, to grow muscle for life, started a blog at Legion, which is now getting, I want to say about 800,000 visits a month and that's continuing to grow. And so again, that's a grind. Like there's a lot of time that's just writing a lot of articles, doing your SEO right and waiting basically. And now that obviously is, has, has really started to pay off. Another thing I would say is we're really big on customer retention and having good company fundamentals. And one of that, sure, customer acquisition is something we were very strong in, in the beginning through organic non-paid channels. 
now we really have to because the the big goal with Legion is fifty million a year in sales in the next three to five years, and that is very doable. Like I, I mean, I have that strategic plan laid out, and it's very conservative. And how do we get there? How do we actually get there? You know, one to two million dollars a month from this channel, one to two million dollars a month from this channel. Really broken down. This is how we get there, and all of it is is actually conservative. It's not pie in the sky, best case scenarios at all, really. Are you trying to say that, are you trying to say it's not on your dream board? I don't have board, a, I don't have a, you're not, I don't you're, have a you're dream board. You're not meditating on it? <laughs> Just because I don't, I mean, what do you put on a dream board? You put stuff, I guess. You put, usually it's like a yacht and a a Mick, right, a Mick mansion and uh, a Rolls Royce. And I, I just don't care about that stuff. I mean, I have nice things, sure. And I, and I like nice things, but I've, I've already, in terms of income, right? So there's, the, you know, you've, I'm sure you've come across that research that for most people, it's what, it's about $80,000 a year is where money, the utility value of money really starts to drop off. It's that diminishing returns, right? That number does not apply to me. It's not applied necessarily to everybody. It really depends also, just even for example, it depends where you live. $80,000 a year in Nebraska is different than $80,000 a year in New York City. You know, $80,000 a year when you are 20 years old is different than $80,000 a year when you're, uh, you know, like me, like when you're 33 with two kids. So, um, you know, th- that doesn't right. apply to everybody. But the point is, everybody has, there's a point where you realize that more money doesn't really do provide much in the way of satisfaction. I'm beyond that point. And now I, I don't really care uh, about income from the perspective of like, what can I buy with it? Really, I guess my primary, well, the reason why I care about about income now is more, what can I do with it to set up my future in terms of passive income and you know potentially other games that I'd like to play and so forth. Hey, quickly, before we carry on, if you are liking my podcast, would you please help spread the word about it? Because no amount of marketing or advertising gimmicks can match the power of word of mouth. So if you are enjoying this episode and you think of someone else who might enjoy it as well, please do tell them about it. It really helps me. And if you are going to post about it on social media, definitely tag me so I can say thank you. You can find me on Instagram at Muscle for Life Fitness, Twitter at Muscle for Life, and Facebook at Muscle for Life Fitness. Let's talk daily routine, right? So a lot of people listen to this, and I used to uh, think this way until three or four years ago, when actually I ended up buying uh, my first, uh, it was a personal training studio, and I now own a a couple of uh, different fitness businesses, and I changed my beliefs around it, but uh, let's talk about daily routine. A lot of of the guys listening to this kind of feel like, in order to make business work, they'd go, yeah, well, Mike was just saying that I need to work all these uh, you know, 50, 60, 70 hour weeks, but how the hell can I do that and kind of keep my health in check and work out, et cetera. And so how does your daily routine work? How do you make sure that you, you get off productive and don't get caught down in the weeds with 73,000 emails and distracted by Facebook yeah. posts um, every three and a half seconds? <laughs> uh, good question. So I, I wake up at 5.30, sometimes six, depending on, usually I'm going to sleep at 10 now. See, previously my sleep, uh, I wish I, a few years ago, I was even more like I was able to go to bed at 11.45. My alarm was at 6.15 and that was it every day. And I would just fall asleep in five minutes and I'd wake up like 
five minutes before my alarm every day. I was like a robot. I, I almost took it for granted um, because that was just how that was just my normal for for years. And now my sleep goes. I don't know if it's from having kids. I mean, I know this is like a thing that people say. I'm just a lighter sleeper now. Like I'll wake up a couple times. I can always fall back asleep. So it's not like an insomnia thing. But I also though, you know, I looked at it in terms of, this is a good point in terms of health where I was like, you know, I, I was feeling better when I was, going to bed at 11.45 and my alarm was at 6.45. I was in bed for seven hours every night and I would sleep, you know, maybe I'd wake up once to pee or something, but I was getting on average six and a half hours of sleep. And when I kind of cut that down and then I even tried to cut it down further, I was like, eh, maybe I can do like five and a half. And I did that for several months. And I just had to face the fact like this winter, I didn't get sick. I started, I got a bit of a headache even with all the flu shit going around. Um, whereas last winter I got sick a couple of times. I just was, had to face that I think my body needs more sleep. And I know scientifically, yeah, it needs more sleep. I need to face that like it, just being able to mentally push through things. Uh, that's not, the, that's not necessarily the smartest decision. Um, so, so now I'm in bed, I would say on average seven and a half hours. Um, uh, because again, now I, I usually wake up a couple times at night, maybe to go pee and otherwise uh, for no good reason, I'll like go through a sleep cycle. I'll come out of REM. I'll, my dream will finish <laughs> and then I'll wake up and then I'll kind of roll over, go back to sleep. So I just put a little bit more priority to, to getting sleep. So I'm in bed around 10. I'm usually actually getting bed at nine 30 cause I like to read. And so I'll read for at least 30 minutes and, you know, so I'm in bed, let's say nine to nine 30 for reading. Cause I also, I, I do listen to audio books earlier in the day and I do some reading. I like to get at least an hour of reading in a day. So I kind of do that. I, I read digitally, so it's convenient. That could be anywhere. Then I can I can get some pages in. So I'm, I'm up and then I'm in, I go straight to the gym. You know, I get my, I usually get my, my food together the day before. So I really, all I have to do is kind of go to the bathroom and uh, I've been taking cold showers for like a year now. I actually wrote an article about it over at Muscle for Life. Long story short is there's no real health benefit probably at all. Um, it, it doesn't increase testosterone. It doesn't boost your immune system. Like yes, cold exposure can, but we're talking about a cold shower is not enough suffering for for what you what what people think that they're getting out of it. If you want to, I mean, if we get this is kind of fresh in my mind because I just recently looked at the literature to write this article. For example, you'll see among winter swimmers, usually you're going to see stronger immune systems. You're going to see less sickness. Generally, yeah, hardier bodies. But you got to look at what those people are doing. They're not taking three minute cold showers. You know what I mean? They're out thirty plus minutes in the freezing cold, swimming in, you know, getting in the water, getting out of the water. That even biologically makes sense. Like, yeah, that shit hardens you. It does. There's no question. So it's not surprising. Right. Right. It's, it's where people have watched a Wim Hof documentary yes. and they think if they turn the uh, the shower down by two degrees <laughs> for thirty seconds at the end, that well, and, and you know what you know what's actually funny yeah. though because of the power of the placebo effect, there's probably something just to that point alone where because they think even if it's slight, just because they think let's say it's you know they're going to get sick less often because yeah they they end with thirty uh, seconds of slightly cool water. Who knows? That alone might be enough to actually uh, reduce sickness by by some degree. But when you look at it strictly, uh, you know, in an objective sense, no, cold showers are not going to really do anything for your physiology. But let me, yeah, yeah, let me yeah. just interrupt, Mike. I feel like I, I, I remember that article, and it was also on the on the podcast about the cold showers because I'd completely bought yeah, yeah. the hype, and I've been doing the whole cold shower thing, which is why I'm laughing just hearing you tell the story. But what's your opinion? Just on a complete tangent about, um, I've read a little bit recently that suggested that 
you got a human growth hormone spike from having a heat exposure, so saunas specifically after resistance training. Have you have you done any yeah, research actually, on that? Got yeah, I mean, I wrote an article so, on saunas. I, it was it's on Legion. Um, it's on the Legion blog, and I wrote it over a year ago, so all the details aren't fresh. But I would say to that point is no. There's going to be nothing nothing notable in that regard, if I remember correctly, because I went through as a fairly long article, I went through a number of points. For example, that was actually an article that Emma, my research assistant, really helped with because I hadn't looked into sauna. So, you know, I asked her, if, can, can she dig through the literature and pull some stuff that I can read some uh, reviews and meta analyses and good clinical studies. And I don't remember anything along those lines, like anything that's notable. And that's also something that you have to keep in mind with any sort of natural intervention is the effect size. Like even if that's true, let's say that's true. Let's say growth hormone does production. Cause remember your body produces growth hormone in spurts, right? So it goes, it, it's not constantly producing. It, it produces a lot of it for your first sleep cycle, right? Your first deep sleep cycles where actually a lot of, if you look at it in terms of the day where most of your growth hormone for the day is produced when you're sleeping, but otherwise it kind of pulses in phases. So let's just say that going into a sauna for a certain period of time does result in some growth hormone secretion. How much for how long and what's the biological significance? Again, unfortunately, I don't remember uh, that point specifically. Uh, I don't remember if I initially came across anything on that point specifically. It would be in the article though, because it was pretty extensive. Um, so the answer to that is pro that's not a, I wouldn't bet on that as like a, a reason to, to go in the sauna. Now, saunas are, or they do have some health benefits. I wrote an article recently on infrared sauna and I, and I bought an infrared sauna primarily because I like the anti-inflammatory effects for which there is good evidence, simply because the less inflammation in your body, generally, the better that is. Now, the reason why I say generally is when we're talking about muscle building, acute inflammation is actually good. You don't want to blunt inflammation after a workout, for example, because that's part of the response that leads to muscle growth. And you can, you can see evidence of that, for example, in research that shows, if I remember correctly, it was a couple months of a 10-minute ice bath. It was like 10 to 12 weeks of a 10-minute ice bath after workouts, significantly decreased muscle and strength gain. The primary mechanism is the reduction of inflammation. So it's good for like, if you're a hardcore athlete, like if you're a football player and you just went and destroyed your body in a game, which is what you do, you need though, you have a week to recover now, right? And then you also have practices. You need to bring that inflammation down as quickly as possible. So that's why you'll see stuff like after the game, right into an ice bath. And then at the professional level, you have a lot of drugs as well, like a lot of GH, talking about GH, a lot of GH used to just, you wouldn't be able to do, take professional football. You wouldn't be able to do it without it, especially certain positions, impossible. Your body would literally just fall apart if you didn't have the drugs. So to that point, not really. But uh, again, if you want to, anybody listening, if they, if you want to, learn about a bit of the science of sauna, just head over to legionathletics.com, search for sauna, and you'll see two articles that I wrote. You'll see one on just sauna use in general and the other on infrared sauna in particular, which is a pretty, the technology is cool. And again, there's good science behind it now. It's not quackery. I thought it was going into it. I was like, this is going to be complete bullshit, isn't it? And I ended up buying, I ended up, I ended up buying one. I, I love it. I've got a feeling I've made a note. I'm going to go and look at that article. I can easily see myself buying a sauna later, but that ties in with my, well, with let, my let me, let me finish question, the routine is, though, just because people might, I know people like that stuff, right? So, so, so oh, that's yeah, the, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I have a cold shower. I just do three minutes cold straight up, just go and freeze basically. Although now my cold tolerance is pretty good. I never really, I never really shiver 
delivered much. And now it doesn't really bother me. It hits me and I'm like, oh, that's cold. And then I kind of don't feel it after, you know, I kind of do like hit my face and the front of my body, then hit the side and then the back and then back around. And I basically bring, I do about three minutes, three and a half minutes to the point where I no longer dislike it basically, where I'm just like, yeah, it's just water. Like you almost get to a point, I don't know if you've experienced that, especially during the winter when the water is cold. I'm in Virginia and you know, we'll have anywhere from, let's say it's 15 to 33 degrees outside. That's cold water where it almost tricks your mind where you, you couldn't quite tell, is this really cold or really hot? It just kind of stings. I can't really tell. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, so I do that. And then I'm in the gym, usually arriving, let's say 630 to 645. I'm in the gym for about an hour. Most of my workouts are 60 to 75 minutes. And then afterwards I get, a, I get a coffee on the way to work. And then I get to work anywhere from, let's say 815 to 830. I'm at the office. And these days I'm here at the office. I have my lunch with me. So that's just like a five, 10 minute, just eat it and get up, move on type of deal. And I'm working, I usually leave the office at between 6.30 and 7.30. And then I go home and prepare my food. You know, I used to work at night, but I also used to leave the office a bit earlier when I was in Florida and I lived right down the road. So I just walk home. And so I was able to get some more work done at night because one, I was able to go to bed later because I, I had an extra hour at night. And two, I was getting home a bit earlier. So, you know, by the time I was done eating, it was maybe 8 PM and I still have a good two hours or three hours even that I could work. Now I'm staying at the office. I'm getting the office a bit earlier. I'm staying a bit later. And so by the, I just don't really have the time because I've my wife is busy with the kids. And so I make my own dinner and which is usually just a one pot vegetable type of thing where my diet is very, I'm very much into eating a lot of nutritious foods because I demand a lot from my body. I do. I mean, I sleep a bit more now, so I'm giving it a bit more sleep, but you know, I'm in the gym five, six days a week. I'm working a lot. And a lot of the work is like, I'm asking a lot of my brain, you know what I mean? To just be on all the time. And even on the weekends are busy. It's not like I'm, my body just doesn't have that much downtime or that much rest beyond planned deloads. So I figure that I need to support it with as much nutrition as possible. So my diet is very calculated. It's obviously a high protein, high carb, moderate fat diet, but even the foods that I eat, I've kind of chosen them intentionally for their nutritional value uh, so I'm eating several f servings of fruit and vegetables per day. I'm eating, sticking mostly to colorful fruits, strawberries, uh, blueberries, because the there are compounds in the pigments, the what gives them their color that are particularly good for you. I'm eating greens. So like usually it's spinach, uh, several handfuls of spinach is for my dark leafy greens, as well as like some red uh, or green lettuce. Um, I'm for my fats, getting most of them from olive oil, avocado and nuts. And the avocado and nuts are because they're rich in monounsaturated fat, which is the best. Uh, I mean, that's really the best single form of dietary fat. And then my protein is mostly coming from lean meat and then also some protein powder, some whey, and then also some vegan powder. I have also a little bit of dairy. So my diet is well-rounded and very nutritious, um, which matters a lot. Like if, if I were to let my diet go to shit. I wouldn't be able to do, I don't think I'd be able to do what I'm doing. I just, I, it would, it would run me down. I wouldn't have the mental energy. I wouldn't have the physical energy. I'd be getting tired and it'd just be getting in the way. But um, yeah, so really by the time when I'm, I'm home, I'm prepping my food, helping get at least one of the kids, usually my son uh, to bed and then kind of eating my food and spending maybe 30, 45 minutes with my wife 
and then getting to bed and you know reading so so that that's kind of every day monday through friday saturday usually i'm doing some work in the mornings and then i uh, do something with my family in the afternoons and sunday is usually just work for most of it. it's it i would say at least 5 hours of work say 5 to 8 hours of work on sunday yeah that's it i mean that's really that's that's my life as mike's talking i'm taking notes guys and and my my question list for mike is getting <laughs> oh, something longer. else we, i should, also, I should quickly just about- say is on the work um in particular uh, i just have the habit of something that has served me very well is planning out like having again so we have our first two quarters very specifically planned but laying out what do I, I mean, in this case, I have several businesses, so there's several interlocking plans because they affect each other. But to keep it simple, it'd be, what are the big things that I want to get done this year and why? How are they, what are they contributing toward? Then breaking those down into essentially checklists. So anybody listening, you could read Checklist Manifesto, but you don't really need to. You could just read the article. I think it was in the Atlantic or New Yorker or something that got that guy his book deal. He wrote a long form article on checklists. You could really just read that article, take 20 minutes or whatever, as opposed to reading the book because the book is kind of an unnecessary elaboration on that article. And so I look from a checklist perspective, really, you want to get the big major things. I don't break it down into the most granular points because I don't think it's necessary. But what are the big things that need to happen to achieve each of those goals? And then take those things and start timelining them on an actual timeline by the end week ending. Like, I mean, I could pull mine up week, I think ending, what is it? February 9th. Yeah. February 9th. So this week I know that the big things that have to get done to keep all of my plans on target, basically. So I start out uh, with the most important things every day where I know this is what I have to get done today. And so if I'm going to bump something, it's probably not going to be this. It's going to be, you know, maybe an article goes up a day or two late, for example, because getting that article done isn't as important as getting right now, for example, I'm going to go back to uh, a book proposal. So my next book is going to be a traditional book and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to do very well. I need to get this book proposal done ASAP though, because we need to get this deal done. And then unfortunately, traditional publishing is slow. So I'm going to try to fight for a 2019 release, but I wouldn't be surprised if they want to do a 2020 release. I don't want a 2020 release. I want 2019. So I have to get it done like ASAP, you know, if I, if I waited two months to get this book proposal done, then it's much harder to argue for a January 2019 or, or February or March 2019 release. So I start every day with the most important tasks that must get done. And then I save the less important shit for after. And that means that, yeah, sometimes not everything gets done, but at least the most important things are getting done. Because one of the big things that is just a pain in the ass about, about having a lot of plates spinning, so to speak. So when you're in the moment doing work, the hard thing, at least for me, is not doing the work. And what has been hard, especially as everything has grown in complexity, is the question of, is this the best thing for me to be doing right now? Or should I be doing something else? Like this activity, should I be doing this is the first question. And should I be doing this right now is kind of the next question. And you have to, if you really want to be able to get into that flow state and be maximally productive and at least have a good time along the way and enjoy yourself, enjoy your productivity, you have to be able to say, yes, this is something I should be doing. I should not necessarily be delegating this or deferring it. 
And yes, I should be doing this right now because I really can't think of anything else more important given the grand scheme of things for me to be doing right now. And once you have those things in place, I just think it makes it much easier to not only be more productive, but also to enjoy your work more. So that's been that's been an important thing for me as well in terms of just my daily routine. And so then I can feel fine. At the end of the day, if, if a couple of things, if I didn't get to work on that article, oh, well, I got the more important things done and I'll work on that article tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I, um, it's funny, you mentioned Checklist Manifesto. That book I found uh, very useful in that uh, it resulted in me getting the, the Way of Life app that the listeners have heard me harp on about multiple times. And if, if you haven't seen that app, Mike, it's, it's a very simple just habit tracking app. But it just really worked for me. I, I have my it's now 40 things uh, on, a, on a typical uh, work day, 40 things in order of priority. I find that if I'm not in the zone like uh, this morning, I was a little out of sorts because my son, unfortunately, had an accident uh, yesterday. So he was kind of up and uh, throughout the night. So I was a bit bleary eyed this morning. And it's just useful for me to be able to, in effect, look at my checklist, which is in the Way of Life app and go, OK, yep. let's yep. just do let's number see. one. Do it. Get it out of the way. Great. Move on exactly. to number two. On to number three. And by the end of it, by the time at 10 or 12, normally firing on all cylinders. Talking about Checklist Manifesto, and you mentioned a few other books. You're obviously a, a well-read guy. Uh, one of uh, one of your weekly podcasts is uh, a book review. I think it's weekly. I also read an awful lot, and we talk about a lot of different books on this podcast. What are the top three books that have had the biggest impact on your business, or, well, professional or personal life, and why? So, I mean, you mentioned a few. You've mentioned the Checklist Manifesto, although that wasn't necessarily an endorsement. You mentioned the Lean Startup and Scaling Up um, uh, so far. But if you think back, what, what are your top three kind of books that you recommend most often or perhaps you've sure. read in the last um, I would months? say for business, I really like The One Thing. Simple, short book, but a lot of good information. Um, and one that I, I recommend regularly. I also like The War of Art, um, which I think is great for everyone to read, not just artists. I just think that Pressfield really kind of stumbled on on a fundamental truth there with this whole like you know war against resistance. And that kind of ties back into being willing to just do the work and being willing to to push through the pain and push through the suffering. There's a Pressfield himself said, I think he said it in one of his books or an interview or somewhere that like he thinks the number one skill that he has acquired over the years that has attributed or contributed most to his success is the ability to suffer. No matter how he feels about it, sit down every day and do the work that needs to be done. And that that resonates with me because I think it's true. I mean, this is a whole nother discussion, but uh I, there are just many aspects of the of today's current kind of Western culture and where things are going that I disagree with just toward personal weakness and glorifying that and trying to pretend like that isn't a problem. I, I really disagree with that. I disagree with that morally and I disagree with that biologically even. I mean, if you look at it, we're just biological animals and you look at survival of the fittest. Um, I think there's truth in that. And what happens in nature? The weak die off. That's what happens. Yeah, we've constructed, we've done a good job constructing social mechanisms whereby the weak are allowed to survive quite well uh, by really any standards, but it's unnatural. And I think that it's maybe arrogant to think that we can really outwit nature in the long game, that 
nature is is we can beat nature and we can be weak and we can be and that and that 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 is that manifests in many ways it manifests in just decadence right and just chasing hedonistic pleasure food drugs sex you can indulge all you want in all of these things like no you can't actually for just take food for example overindulge in food and you're probably going to get a disease and die and I, that's the way it should be. I don't disagree with that <laughs> fundamentally. Like biologically, right. yes. Why would mother nature, if she wants to keep the species alive and what does it take to, to stay alive? Like you need strong bodies out there to stay alive, to, to weather the elements, to weather uh, the, the, all the viruses and all the different ways that we can just be eliminated. Anyways, War of Art is a great book. Um, again, Lean Startup, I actually did like, I know it's... I wouldn't say it's necessarily on the same on the same level, but I do recommend anybody that's interested in business to check out the Lean Startup. I, I took away some good things from that. Uh, on the marketing side of things, the Twenty Two Immutable Laws of Marketing, very very good fundamental book that everyone should read. Influence also very good fundamental everybody should read. Uh, Persuasion also I really did like. It's probably not going to go down into the hall of fame necessarily of marketing books like influence, but it was very good breakthrough advertising. It's hard to get, but you can probably find PDFs online by Eugene Schwartz. Very, very good book. Highly recommend it, especially for copywriters in particular. Other than that, in terms of personal stuff, I'm kind of over self-help and self-development books. It's been a while since I've read one that I really, really liked because at this point, they all kind of just sound the same to me. I guess. But Flow is one that Michele Chiksa, I can't pronounce his last name. When 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 you look at his last name, you understand why. It's like Chiksa, Chiksa Mahaley or something like that. Mahaley, Chiksa Mahaley maybe. Uh, but Flow, I really, really liked Flow. Mastery by Robert Greene, really, really liked that book. Again, these are books that are a bit more academic in nature. They're not, I'm not big on motivation personally. Like I don't really, I watch a, you know, a Gary Vee video and I'm like, okay, Honestly, that's just not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for someone to tell me, you can do it. You know, you're fucking lazy and ignorant and you have no skills, but you can do it. I just, I just fundamentally disagree with that. And although Gary may not be like that, actually, I don't really follow his stuff. I think that's actually more his thing, right? Isn't his thing like, hey, stop being a lazy piece of shit and work. Yeah. So regardless, maybe I agree I with him so. more than I realize, but I'm not into motivational speakers or motivational stuff. So I'm more into, I like what I find motivating are systems and models and principles that I think will work. I, I don't care how they make me feel. I don't care what they're going to entail in terms of work and effort and difficulty. If something, if I'm like, oh, that's smart, like that, I agree with that is going to work or that, that really seems true to me. That's what I find motivating. So books like Mastery, for example, is much more motivating to me than even The War of Art. As much as I like The War of Art, and it's a book where I'm like, yeah, I, I really agree with that. It, it, I, it's a message that resonates with me. Mastery is more more useful to me personally, but that book I, I highly recommend. I really like biographies, again, because I like to look under the hood of successful people, so to speak, and see really what makes them tick. And I know, like for example, daily routines is kind of a maybe it's because Tim Ferriss popularized it or something. But a lot of people have a lot of interest in terms of daily routine. What's the what's the optimal day, total day optimization or whatever? And I think that's fine. It's a good place to start, I guess. But if you look at it too much of those, like a shortcut or a hack, you know what I mean? And then, then there's no, there's no substitute for the work. There's no, so it's like, um, 
when you said about biographies, one of my, I don't say favorite biographies, um, but it's prominent, uh, and I only read it a couple of years ago, was um, yeah, Tyson. one of my favorites. Which was, uh, Chernow, the biography Chernow is of, such uh, an amazing uh, writer. Rockefeller. He's probably one of my favorite writer in terms of his, just his ability to write, his ability to communicate, his command of the English language, his ability to tell a story over the course of 800 pages. Incredible. And I loved that biography. And that dude just knew how to suffer. He didn't give a shit. He just did whatever it took. And you know, you remember in the book, he says that like, he doesn't think he ever got a good night's sleep in his entire life. Basically, that's the kind of shit though, when you really start looking at, I mean, he became the richest man in the world and left behind a fortune that, you know, is worth hundreds of billions of dollars in today's money. And that's not even something that I necessarily aspire to, uh, because even if I felt like I could do it, I know it would re t require giving up everything, everything, forget about Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, and I, I know when I started raving about that book after I read it, a few people were like, oh, what are you so, you know, it's so capitalistic and it's immoral. And and my attitude was like, well, look, I'm not saying that. No, a, I mean, the first answer to that well, is like. All, you're going to read it in order to know. And then and then secondly, like you can, of course. you can still learn and take elements from it. And that, that man was unbelievable. I mean, the fact that he was able to sell oil profitably for and make a profit for less money than it costs his competitors to get it out of the ground in the first place was just insane. And how he controlled the whole supply chain. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 there's yeah, lessons help but admire uh, to learn for that he had the audacity to do it. One, you know, if somebody were to try to take, if it's just a purely anti-capitalism rant, I'd just say, yeah, you're stupid. Like, we're, that, that's the end of that conversation. No, you're stupid. You're, you're just dumb. Capitalism has given <laughs> us, has produced more wealth and has done more to raise the quality of living for more people on the planet than anything in history. Yeah, that, that's a whole, I, I could rant about that for, for an hour straight. But yeah, no, I understand what a legitimate critique for me. And that is, it's unfortunate that people like him were so, I mean, he was very immoral and unethical in his business practices, which was strange because he was very moral and he had a strong uh, integrity and strong ethics personally. You know, in business, he was fucking ruthless. Uh, the things that he did and to wreck his competitors. Also, also, of course, buying off politicians and, you know, the whole antitrust thing was just a farce, even though I do believe Teddy Roosevelt was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to break up these trusts and trying to, you know, just make people at least be able to compete. All that it really did was double John Rockefeller's net worth because he owned everybody. He owned everybody in government and in, and in the judiciary that he needed to make sure that that deal went down exactly. So, so the public can think something was done and people can say, yeah, we stuck it to the evil capitalist. When he says in his own letters, you remember in the book where he thought it was a joke. It was, a, it was hilarious to him. He's like, all right, double my net worth guys. Thanks. Fucking good job. Smart. Because he, he was able to engineer the entire, even that you just go, ah, I kind of, you know, whatever. I, I got to admire that. Same thing with um, Alexander the Great, another biography that was great. Well, there's there are quite a few. There was one, Alexander the Great, it's, that's just the name of the book by Philip something, a recent, uh, it's, it was recently published. Really, really good. And I mean, Alexander is just one of my favorite characters in history simply because what he did was, it's, it's one of those instances. Yeah, where truth truth is just stranger than, than the fact is stranger than, than fiction. If you were, if it were to be told as a story, people would say this is stupid. Like, you know what I mean? This is so unrealistic. Nobody could ever could nobody can do this. You know, but he did it. 
Benjamin Franklin by Isaacson. Definitely recommend that book, uh, that biography. A lot of good. I mean, again, Franklin was a very interesting person, had good values. I mean, no one's perfect. And that's also one of the nice things about biographies though, is you really get to, you get an unprocessed view of successful people and you get to see the good and you get to see the bad and you yourself get to learn what it is that, you know, whatever is most relevant to you right now in your life is what will stand out to you as opposed to getting a pre-digested kind of like pop psychology boiled down raw raw type of book that might include a couple anecdotes but no what i'm more interested in is the nitty-gritty details what did these people what were they really like and what did it really take elon musk biography by ashley vance great book yeah, really enjoyed it. And, you know, again, right. what, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about is exactly the type of stuff that you'll find in that book. I mean, Elon Musk said, right, in one of his early businesses to pit when he was pitching investors that he approaches business like a samurai, he'd rather die than fail. That's who that dude is. And you see, like, that's not just talk. You get a real, you know, remember in the book when it's going through 2013, when it looks like everything is falling apart, it looks like SpaceX is going to, he has one last launch left, and then he's out of money. He's borrowing money just to make payroll. Tesla's a hundred and whatever million dollars in the hole. They don't even have a model car yet. His wife left him and she's slandering him in, in the media because he was kind of a dick to where he deserved some of that. But what was he doing? That's right. He was working 20 hours a day. He was living in his office where the employees were like, you know, they had a joke that he doesn't, he doesn't shower. Like where, where does this, he never even leaves. <laughs> what the fuck is, how is this possible? You know, you read stuff like that. And that, those are the kind of stories that really resonate with me because one, it puts my own shit in perspective. So like, who am I to complain? Oh, I had to work, you know, 60 hours last week and I had to do some things I didn't want to do. Yeah. Who fucking cares? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's nothing. It's, it's right. a, the, the fact that if I were to complain about that, what all that's saying is that I'm pathetic, basically. That's how I feel about it. Like if I were to complain about that, I would just feel like, wow, I'm pathetic. At least that's the perspective again of that's one of the reasons why I really like reading the right types of biographies. That's kind of the mode I'm in. I'm, I'm really focused on my work and focusing on success. And so, yeah, I want to read about very successful people and see what did it really take. You know, I'm reading the Da Vinci biography right now, which um, is interesting, very different person. Da Vinci was a creative genius, but he was kind of like Tesla and that he was not good at finishing things. Uh, there's still always takeaways though. There's always things you can learn from interesting and, and accomplished people, even if in the case of Da Vinci, he was not successful in a financial sense, but he was very accomplished in an artistic sense. And he obviously has gone down as uh, now he's, he's considered one of the greatest geniuses of all time. And it's interesting to see how did he, he got there in a very different way. He was not Rockefeller at all. He did not have the work ethic. He did not have the discipline. He was very, a, a very freewheeling type of person. Yeah. So anyways, the, the biographies are, are what I spend a lot of time. It's really like biographies and marketing are the two types of books that I like to read the most. And I've have given me the most, I guess, value in terms of my work. So tying it back to the very first book that you mentioned on, uh, in answer to that question, what's the one message you would like to leave the uh, listeners with in order to help them develop and grow their businesses? Hmm. Uh, if you can just make it your sole first focus to get so good at something valuable that you can't be ignored, then you're already halfway there. And you know, I know quite a few people who have 
six-figure businesses and they're just individuals. Sometimes it's an individual with like maybe an assistant. It could be more of a technical type of assistant or just general administrative assistant. And they don't really do any marketing. They don't do any advertising. And it's all of their businesses through referral because they're just so good at what they do. And anyone can do that. I, I wholeheartedly believe that anyone can figure out how to make $100,000 a year, whether it's through just a traditional being employed type of getting a job, building a career type of approach, or as an entrepreneur. I really do think that anyone has that capacity. I do not think that anyone can make a million dollars a year. And that's and I, and, I, and I might be wrong. I might be wrong, but that's just the way I feel about it. But I really do think that anyone can figure out how to make $100,000 a year. And, and half of that, let's just say 50,000 of those $100,000 a year is just getting so good at something that you can't be ignored, that people see your work and they're like, wow, you're really good at that. And if that has value, and that's pretty much everything now with the internet, I mean, if you can knit uh, oven mitts really well, you can probably figure it out through something like Etsy or, or whatever, maybe not, but you know what I'm saying? Like there are so many, so many different things you can get really good at. You know, that would be the first thing. I mean, I guess another thing that's just been on my mind recently and something with, again with me personally, and this is where all this stuff kind of comes from even some of my, again, more some of my cynicism and pessimism comes from me wanting to improve myself. And more importantly, though, wanting to make sure I don't skid. I don't want to, because of success or because of really any reason, move backward as an individual. And so I don't think I'm a tough person. I might be. I don't think I've honestly gone through enough trials and tribulations to say, I'd say I maybe have a little bit of toughness that I've, I've exhibited. Ultimately though, you know, when I think of toughness, like, could I go get through, you know, hell week, uh, the, the Navy SEAL thing? I don't know. Like, I think you have to be pretty tough as an individual to do that. Could I do that? I don't know. But I, I have at least tried to do things to cultivate toughness in, in both my mentality and my approach. Like for example, I don't, complain about things, period. Like I have a standing rule with myself. And that means by the definition of complaining, constructive criticism. Yes. Uh, you know, if, if something needs to be done better, you know, in my work or in somebody that works with me, of course, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say something that's not, that's not complaining, but complaining where I'm just kind of griping. I'm saying I'm annoyed about things that I'm not going to do anything about. I just don't do it. And, and that means what's going on you know, whether it's current affairs or in my personal life. I like that because again, I think it, I like to think at least it, it helps cultivate at least a little bit of mental toughness. Some of the weaker people I know are definitely some of the people most prone to complaining. And so I, I kind of see like the correlation there. I'm like, well, then I'm just not going to complain. Even the cold showers thing. The reason why I still do it is just because it kind of sucks. Like at this point, it sucks a lot less than it did in the beginning. I, I don't really mind it as much anymore. But it is most days something I'm not particularly looking forward to. And again, I think that the fact though that I'm just forcing myself to do it, I do think there's a psychological value in there because, and this is a whole nother discussion, but research shows that in many ways, our self-image is really just formed around our actions. Many people have that backward and they think that they are, are how they see themselves dictates how they act. And it's really the other way around you're always going to change the subjective to match the objective. So the way that you behave really is what is going to determine your character for, for better or for worse. And if you see yourself 
behaving in a certain way, if it's negative and if it's destructive, chances are you are going to rationalize it. You're going to figure out the reasoning to accommodate your actions. It's not the other way around. You're not going to experience that cognitive dissonance and be like, this is really going against my principles. I'm really not being the person I want to be. I'm going to change that. Man, eh, probably not. And that's include, that, invo- that applies to me as much as anybody else. We're all in it together. If that's true, then if we can string together enough of the right actions where we are exhibiting our values, where we are not just saying we're going to do things and not just saying that, you know, that we are virtuous in any way, do it. Don't say anything, just do it. And if you do it, then the attitudes and the the mental side of things takes care of itself. And so coming back to cold showers, I think there's value in that. There's a little bit of value in that I can say, yeah, I'm a person that's willing to wake up every day and eat a frog and do something that just kind of sucks basically. And the only reason I'm doing it is because I want to be the type of person that can make myself do things that I don't want to do. In the case of cold showering, it doesn't have any greater purpose. But if I can do that in my work, if I can do that in my personal relationships, in my personal life, then that is, again, I think a huge part of just being successful. So it's like cultivating that that skill and then cultivating that ability to just do whatever it takes. Those are probably, that's probably it. Like if you could just do those two things... You could have no real people skills. You could have no real marketing skills, but you can you can do quite well for yourself. Um, Same thing with working out. That's one of the reasons why I think working out is therapeutic, in a way where one it allows you that working out is my form of meditation. I don't meditate. I've tried it. It's just not for me. I don't really feel like I get anything out of it. And I I keep spreadsheets on things. So I actually was like, you know, did a little N one experiment. Like, can I really say that anything in my life is positively impacted by meditation? And I didn't really notice anything in it in any regard, but exercise is kind of my meditation because it allows me when I'm in there working out, I'm just focused on, you know, what I'm doing. Also, I use that time in between sets. I'm learning German so I can, it's kind of like two birds with one stone, but I, I don't, I don't have my, my mind on my work. I have my attention on what I'm doing and allows me to kind of just like, Oh, maybe, maybe you could say decompress, even though it's, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's inherently a a relaxing activity, obviously. So there's that element to it, but then there's also an element to it that sometimes I don't really want to work out. Sometimes if I didn't sleep well, uh, in particular, I'm not looking forward to doing that workout, but again, the fact that I can just get in there and do it reinforces that habit that then I can apply elsewhere more fruitfully, I guess you could say. So a long thing to leave people with, but those are my, uh, that, that's my bumper sticker. Can you put that on a bumper sticker, please? <laughs> bumper sticker for, for a giant RV. I like it a lot. And I certainly think, wait, it ties together with what you said right in the beginning. You know, I think a lot of people aren't capable uh, of working hard and, and they need to, you know, they have the necessity level. I could talk with you all day, but I just feel the need to throw this in. I completely didn't th- feel meditation work for me either until, um, um, and I, I still don't meditate per se, but what I did find very meditative and helpful, because I equally keep a lot of spreadsheets and uh, have tracked it and feel it's made a notable difference, is um, heart rate variability training. So for me, it was the kind of the controlling the variability of your heart rate, and it, um, mm-hmm. and I use the HeartMath Inner Balance app with a heart rate uh, monitor and hmm. it, I, I personally I tried that. It it's just for me, I, my just, HRV uh, was always in the same intense. range. It didn't really change. So I was like, huh, okay. And it was, uh, it was in, it was in a good range. Like I want to say it was around 80 or so. 
70 to 80 and it didn't really change. So I was just like, all right, I was just curious, you know, does, is there any correlation on some of these days? Like if I train harder, do I really see a difference? I didn't see much of a difference. I think I, at one point I saw something in the fifties and, and then it kind of just went to the seventies to eighties and it kind of just stayed there. And I, and then I was like, I did it for a while, actually. I did it for at least four weeks, every single day tracking in the morning. And when it just wasn't changing much, I was like, huh, all right, I guess, uh, I guess I'm fine. I guess I'm fine. Then. You know what I mean? Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I, cause I, I, um, tried it years ago and it never worked for me. And then I tried it again more recently and it really did. Uh, like, so for example, this morning, cause I had a very disrupted night's sleep with my son uh, like I was all over the place this morning, so I actually mm. chose to because I was in, sure. did so poorly. Did you see? Chose did you to see, did you see an immediate effect in your interview? I'm, I'm take today off and uh, even in days where I wouldn't, I wasn't like fucked, but I was like, eh, I didn't quite sleep enough. Same HRV as always. I'm like, oh, well, whatever. I guess I'll just go do my thing. Well, I mean, it's, and it's interesting because it could be placebo, but I don't think it is because I've noticed on the days when it's been yeah, yeah, borderline, yeah. you know, like on the on the on the little graph or whatever when it when, it, when it's been borderline yeah, yeah, and i've yeah. gone to train i've found myself weak and performing more poorly and it's genuinely not in my mind i don't yeah, feel yeah. like i'm going in there going oh, yeah, well, yeah. No, i think i mean i haven't looked too much in the well science of it it's actually I like to, there's somebody and, i like to get on the podcast or it might make for a good article but it's something i have to research a bit i just i just did, like grabbed it on a whim because i've heard from some smart people who i listen to that yeah there's there's some good science to it and so i assume that it's not just bullshit just based on the people that i've spoken to already about it but i, I can't say that i i know very much because i don't um, I just was like, oh, that's good enough for me. I'll try it. Yeah, well, it's interesting. For, for me, the, sub, uh, the subjective bit's the more interesting thing. So like with this particular, because I've, I've tried a few different apps for it as well, but the Inner Balance app where it was much more subjective, but I noticed being able to, rather than just strap the heart rate monitor on and see what mm, it worked okay. out to be, I would do the whole breathing exercise and the meditation that they do with it, and I would see the score improve. Uh, and then I would feel better afterwards. That's a, and that's I would a be reason to do it right there. Likely to be reactive. Uh, you know, I've, I can't. Yeah, no, that's right, great. Right, right, right. So, I, I, so that's why I kind of felt the need to chip that in. I think also, you know, in terms of um, like personality, like I took uh, Jordan Peterson's Understand Myself personality test recently, and, and I think it actually has very accurately described me. I score very low in neuroticism and volatility, which again, I've seen that play out. So I think in some ways, like, you know, I have definitely my, the thing that's wrong with me is my, I'm, I'm hyper disagreeable. Uh, and, but I think a stronger point of just my personality, it's just the way that I'm wired or whatever is for whatever reason, like I, I, I'm, I don't get nervous easily. I don't ever really kind of worry about things and I don't have an, and that's not me bragging. I don't have even like an explanation for it. That's kind of just always the way I've been. So I think that that is partially why I haven't benefited much from those types of things. Cause it's not that I don't care. So I'm like, oh, fuck it. Who cares what happens? But for whatever reason, things that probably should affect me more than they they probably should affect me more emotionally but they just don't so i don't know i don't have an explanation for it right 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 so mike my, my my last thing is obviously i'm i'm a fan if uh the guys are still uh <laughs> sometimes still these, sometimes these long ramble on i'm willing to do it because it's you know it's an it's an it's an interesting conversation and i don't I know that like uh, this is something I'll probably actually post up on my podcast because I get asked by my people a lot about this kind of stuff. So I can say, hey, everybody, look, here's a discussion that it's that you might like. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a, it was a, a short form podcast that took ninety minutes, but but I love it. I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna wag this whole thing up. But but for the guys that are listening, I know we've mentioned yeah. a few places. Yeah, let's just say muscle for life. We, we know you got to run. Let's say muscle spelled out. Muscleforlife.com is kind of my central hub. If you want to check out what I'm doing on the sports nutrition side of things, that's legionathletics.com. L e g i o n athletics.com, and those are yeah, those are my main two. You know properties i guess you could say yeah well and get on the podcast as well so i, I i'll endorse again the reason why mike's on this call is because I, I was a customer of his first and a fan and he puts out great content so um make sure you guys uh if you listen to a lot of podcasts check out the muscle for life podcast and um yeah i use a lot of the different uh, uh legion supplements um although i want i'm not going to open this can of worms now mike but i, I wanted to get into the whole new maybe, maybe next um, yeah, ascend yeah. discussion but I, I guess we'll have to leave that for another time so right right so guys check out muscleforlife.com and uh legionathletics.com and thank all you. that leaves me to say is uh mike thank you very much Hey there, it is Mike again. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it interesting and helpful. And if you did and don't mind doing me a favor and want to help me make this the most popular health and fitness podcast on the internet, then please leave a quick review of it on iTunes or wherever you're listening from. This not only convinces people that they should check the show out, it also increases its search visibility and thus helps more people find their way to me and learn how to build their best bodies ever too. And of course, if you want to be notified when the next episode goes live, then just subscribe to the podcast and you won't miss out on any of the new goodies. Lastly, if you didn't like something about the show, then definitely shoot me an email at mike at muscleforlife.com and share your thoughts on how you think it could be better. I read everything myself and I'm always looking for constructive feedback, so please do reach out. All right, that's it. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I hope to hear from you soon. And lastly, this episode is brought to you by me. (laughs) Seriously though, I'm not big on promoting stuff that I don't personally use and believe in. So instead, I'm going to just quickly tell you about something of mine. Specifically, my 100% natural greens supplement, Genesis. Now, Genesis is a very unique combination of greens, superfoods, adaptogens, herbs, and other phytonutrients that have been proven to increase immunity, heart and circulatory health, energy levels, libido, mood, and more. Genesis is also naturally sweetened in flavors and contains no artificial food dyes, fillers, or other unnecessary junk. And all that is why it has over 200 reviews on Amazon with a four star average and another 150 plus on my website also with a four star average. So if you wanna be healthier, feel better, train harder, and increase your immunity and longevity, then you want to head over to www.legionathletics.com and pick up a bottle of Genesis today. And just to show how much I appreciate my podcast peeps, use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout and you will save 10% on your entire order. And lastly, you should also know that I have a very simple 100% money back guarantee that works like this. You either love my stuff or you get your money back, period. You don't have to return the products. You don't have to fill out forms. You don't have to jump through any other hoops or go through any other shenanigans. So you really can't lose here. Head over to www.legionathletics.com now, place your order, and see for yourself why my supplements have thousands of rave reviews all over the internet. 
And if for whatever reason, they're just not for you, contact us and we will give you a full refund on the spot.